From the State Capitol, WFSU Public Media brings you Capitol Report. Florida's Supreme Court justices are weighing ballot language for a proposed constitutional amendment that would protect abortion access. If you read the, all of it together, it's people, the people of Florida aren't stupid. I mean, they can figure this out. Also this week, there's a hospital access crisis in Florida's rural counties. Lawmakers are trying to do something about that. The goal is to ensure that rural hospitals and rural underserved areas remain open. We'll also find out what happens when uninvited guests move into a vacant property, and we'll get an update on the warming trend that's impacting Florida, along with the rest of the world. It's the end of week five of the Florida lawmaking session, just four more to go. I'm Tom Flanagan, online and on air. This is Capitol Report and the end of week wrap-up of top stories from Tallahassee. Funding for Capitol Report is provided by the following. Florida State University a preeminent institution. FSU specialty license plates support scholarships for deserving students who enrich and contribute to our state and nation. More on FSU specialty plates is at fsu.edu slash mytag. HR Florida State Council, affiliate of the Society of Human Resource Management, advocating for the workplace on behalf of 16,000 human resource professionals and 6,300 Florida employers. HR Florida State Council. More at hrflorida.org. And from a grant from the law firm of Searcy, Denny, Scarola, Barnhart, and Shipley, supporting public radio and taking time to care, on the web at searcylaw.com. Two major abortion cases are now pending before the Florida Supreme Court. Both stand to significantly change the landscape of abortion access in the state. The first is a challenge against Florida's current 15-week abortion ban, Justices are widely expected to uphold it, and if they do, that will trigger a six-week ban. The second is a ballot language review for a proposed amendment that would change the state constitution to explicitly protect abortion access up until viability. Regan McCarthy takes us to the steps of the Supreme Court, where earlier this week, justices heard arguments for the latter case. Outside the courthouse, advocates on both sides of the issue are chanting, waving signs, singing, and praying. The Supreme Court's ballot language review is the final step before voters can weigh in on the proposed amendment to protect abortion access. Today is not a decision on whether or not um, the underlining subject matter is good or bad. This today is just about the decision of whether or not to place this on the ballot so the people of the state have the right to vote on this. Florida Democratic Party Chair Nikki Freed is one of the people here to show support for the proposed amendment. The Supreme Court has only two options here. You know, one is to look at it as a single subject, and the other is to make sure that it's not confusing to the electorate. And as the justices said today, the voters of Florida are not stupid. Freed is referring to a statement made by Supreme Court Chief Justice and Ron DeSantis appointee Carlos Muniz. After an attorney representing the state argued the ballot language is deceptively broad, Mooney's responded, If you read the, all of it together, it's people, the people of Florida aren't stupid. I mean, they can figure this out. The ballot language says in part, quote, No law shall prohibit, penalize, delay, or restrict abortion before viability or when necessary to protect the patient's health as determined by the patient's health care provider. It includes one exception for parental notification when minors seek an abortion. 
a stipulation which is already in the state constitution. Muniz agrees the language is broad, but he says that fact is not hidden from voters. Back outside, the rally for and against the amendment continues. Linda Nason is praying the rosary with a group of others who traveled to Tallahassee to oppose the amendment. She says she used to work in prison ministry and often worked with women who had abortions. She feels the procedure has a negative mental and emotional impact. That woman suffers the rest of her life, and I don't want to see that anymore. Mental health experts have pushed back on that idea. They say the likelihood that someone will develop a psychiatric disorder is greater for a person who's forced to carry a pregnancy to term and deliver a baby. The court is expected to rule on the ballot language by April 1st. A ruling for the 15-week and subsequent triggering of the six-week ban could come at any time. I'm Regan McCarthy. A health care deal is advancing through the Florida legislature as state lawmakers look for ways to improve access to emergency medical treatment in rural areas. The proposal, however, would remove certain services given to patients in return for a higher reimbursement check from the federal government. Adrian Andrews has more. Since last year, emergency care facilities in rural communities have been taking advantage of a federal program that gives rural hospitals extra money for the services they provide to low-income patients who have Medicaid insurance coverage. In some cases, these additional payments can help keep hospitals out of the red and allow them to afford more prescription drugs and medical supplies. But states must first grant them a license to operate as a rural emergency hospital. That's where Tallahassee's Republican Senator Corey Simon says he's willing to lend a helping hand. Through the new REH Medicare Enhancement Reimbursement Rate, the goal is to ensure that rural hospitals and rural underserved areas remain open and access to health care continue. Simon has a bill that says for facilities to be considered a rural facility, they must only have 100 or fewer beds and sit in an area where the population does not exceed 100 people per square mile. Mary Mayhew is the president and CEO of the Florida Hospital Association. She says while her organization supports the legislation, health care workers must understand the accompanying risk. The intent was to give rural hospitals another option uh, in the event that they are um, struggling financially, have extremely low inpatient volume. This is an option to consider. In return for higher Medicaid reimbursements, hospitals that take on the rural designation would have to give up inpatient services. This would mean hospitals would be forced to find another reimbursement program when treating patients with life-threatening conditions or surgeries that may require extensive care afterwards. Patients can't stay any longer than 24 hours, but Medicare will provide additional enhanced reimbursement for those hospitals that convert to that rural emergency hospital status. So it's not the answer for all rural hospitals. It is simply yet another option. The bill also presents some education benefits. Included in Simon's package is a state-run loan program to help nursing students in Florida pay for classes and cover licensing fees. I'm Adrian Andrews. 
Coming up on Capitol Report, the Florida legislature takes up a frontal attack on wokeness in teacher training programs, although not every member thinks that's even necessary. You're running a bill to address a problem that doesn't exist. We get a halfway point update on the progress of this year's lawmaking session thus far. He's basically reminding leadership that he has the veto pen and will use it if they don't factor him into the process. Lawmakers look to crack down on squatters who won't leave someone else's home. I could not even set foot on my own property or enter the house, even when I knew they were taking sledgehammers to the walls and ripping out plumbing. And the official numbers are out, and Florida is definitely heating up, along with the rest of the planet. Support for Capital Report is provided by a grant from the law firm of Searcy, Denny, Scarola, Barnhart, and Shipley, supporting public radio and taking time to care, on the web at searcylaw.com. Florida's Republican-led legislature is trying to cancel cancel culture and wokeness in teacher preparatory programs. And critics are arguing the measure is pointless. It's the latest in a series of recent changes in the state that are adding fuel to ongoing culture wars. More on that from Lynn Hatter. This bill, however, addresses a problem that does not exist. Society should not bend to the insecurities of a vocal minority. Matthew Penson is a high school English teacher, and he's fed up with what he sees as the state's ongoing attempts to gloss over some of the uglier aspects of American history and society. According to the proposal he takes issue with, programs that train teachers should not, quote, distort significant historical events or include a curriculum or instruction that teaches identity politics or be based on theories that systematic racism, sexism, oppression, and privilege are inherent in the institutions of the United States and were created to maintain social, political, and economic inequalities. It's the latest in a chain of state law changes that carry similar language, and it's all part of what Governor Ron DeSantis has declared a war on woke. The language of the bill mirrors prior laws that critics have labeled anti-black, anti-woman, and anti-LGBTQ. We sort of run through the typical distraction argument. The problem doesn't exist. You're running a bill to address a problem that doesn't exist. Then why do you care? Republican Senator Randy Fine disagrees with how this proposal and others that have come before it have been characterized by critics. He says if the measures were pointless, those critics wouldn't be complaining. And he argues the type of speech this bill and others before it have tried to address is still occurring. In the middle of COVID, when my school district was coming up here saying we're broke, I was the chair of of appropriations at the time, and we're broke, we're broke, we need money, we need money, we need money. They're broke. In the middle, in the, as a result of passing this bill, they hired a guy to come in and train teachers in a mandatory training while they're broke. They hired a trainer who said, quote, white America has a deep and thick appetite for black death and violence upon black people. Fine says statements like that pit people against each other and oversimplify at best 
and mislead at worst real inequities that exist. But he and Republican Senator Blazin Goglia argue those inequities aren't based on race, they're based on economics. And Goglia notes that despite the legislature's efforts, topics like critical race theory, which posits that a racial bias is inherent in America's laws, are still permeating through the educational ecosystem. Democratic Senator Tracy Davis asked in Goglia for examples. Maybe an example or two from the book that you are sharing. Sure, I can, um, and I'd be more than happy to sit down with uh, um, sit down with you and, and go over some of this stuff. Um, analyzing the inequalities in education associated with ability, gender, language, race, and social class. Exploring bias, incidents, hate crimes, and methods of combating them. Now, I'm not saying that this isn't worthwhile. Maybe in other courses, but to teach. Teacher prep. Most teacher prep programs are housed in the state's higher education system. And while the legislature intended to ban such language throughout education, Equality Florida's Joe Sanders points out that lawmakers' attempt to target teacher prep programs could be unconstitutional, given that a federal judge has already stopped the state from enforcing its anti-woke laws in higher ed. In the decision that brought the injunction, Federal Judge Mark Walker wrote, defendants argue that under this act, professors enjoy, quote, academic freedom so long as they express only those viewpoints of which the state approves. That is positively dystopian. We agree. Still, that has not dissuaded Republicans from advancing the measure in both the House and Senate, and it looks to be the latest in Governor Ron DeSantis's war on woke. I'm Len Hatter. Surprise, surprise, we have crossed officially the halfway point of the 2024 Florida legislative session. And Tristan Wood, who joined us at the beginning of session, has returned for kind of a, I, I don't know, Tristan, we call this, what, a, a halfway discussion of some of the issues and themes that we've been looking at here over the past month or so. So got to ask you first off about Governor Ron DeSantis and his role with the legislature now that he's back in town. We know he used that bully pulpit over the past few years to get his policy priorities passed in advance of his now-suspended presidential campaign. Is he doing that again, though, this year? And uh, now that he's back from the campaign trail, what's what's up? Well, honestly, Tom, he's really been kind of playing catch-up. The main way he's done that is that he's been holding press conferences and kind of weighing in on the policy priorities of legislative leaders. He expressed concern about House Speaker Paul Renner's bill banning children under 16 from social media. He showed support for a bill cracking down on homeless encampments, but laid out some changes he wants to see in that legislation. So he's basically reminding leadership that he has the veto pen and will use it if they don't factor him into the process. But the fact that he's taking that posture signals that for this year, at least, you know, uh, the session is being steered almost exclusively by legislative leadership. So let's talk about what the leadership has been up to as far as some of the uh, bill action is concerned here, Tristan, particularly those you've been looking at. Recreational marijuana, not legal in Florida, but as I understand it, lawmakers are going after a bill that would preemptively regulate that industry, I believe. Can you walk me through that? Well, Florida voters are set to decide whether they want recreational pot in November because it will likely be on the ballot if it passes a state Supreme Court review. But lawmakers are looking to place caps on the strength of pot 
if voters approve it at all. The bill that is currently going through has expanded a lot that it is doing as it has gone through committee. At first, it would have just placed caps on the strength of combustible flower cannabis, like the, the traditional like plant. But an amendment to the legislation filed Thursday would extend those caps on edibles and vaporized pot. Now, that's important because, you know, a, a lot of people that are, you know, are in apartment buildings and those types of structures where they can't, you know, spark up inside, th those types of products are very popular amongst uh, medical cannabis users currently. So it makes sense that if it became legal recreationally, those are the type of products that would be very popular uh, amongst consumers. Okay, so what has the discussion about that bill looked like as they've been debating all of this? It sounds really complicated. So, uh, as you could imagine, it got pretty heated. Uh, supporters say that the rules would keep Floridians from accidentally over-consuming because they don't know how strong a specific product is. Concerns that since it's legal, producers will pump products filled with more uh, cannabis than people are usually familiar with when they were using it, you know, off the street illicitly. But critics of the legislation say it's too early to enact the regulation. And a better idea would be like a complete industry regulation package if it's passed at all, instead of this like piecemeal approach that is currently going on. And then others say that people looking to get a stronger dose would just smoke more, eat more of the edible, bringing in other health concerns. Oh, boy. Well, as we kind of Close things out here, Tristan. Uh, lawmakers have been known on occasion to come up with some uh, kind of creative and catchy names for bills. Uh, have you caught wind of any of those sorts of things this session? Oh, yes. Uh, I was following a committee this week and the Right to Rock Act hit the agenda. And as a metalhead, my ears instantly perked up. Essentially, the bill bans venues that receive any public dollars from canceling a music or other entertainment act for their political views or public statements. Uh, it's come as, you know, con uh, some conservative acts have been canceled at events around the country because of social media posts or other avenues that they've stated their political beliefs. You know, an interesting thing about the bill is it would directly uh, protect one of its sponsors. Navarre Republican Representative Joel Rudman is in a band that recently did a host of performances around Florida called the Gods, Guns, and Less Government Tour. And honestly, I think Rudman's alliteration use on bills and tour names deserves some props. And I wonder if he's going to show up, you know, in a future Lollapalooza or something like that. That'd be interesting. That, that would be interesting, you know, in the free state of Florida. There we go. Okay. We already have a, a Leonard Skinner uh, campaign song knockout that uh, Governor DeSantis had uh, when he was running for president. So anything is possible. <laughs> Tristan Wood with us on Capitol Report. Thanks, Tristan. It's great being here. After hearing horror stories of properties being taken over by squatters, the Florida legislature's taking action. Bills in both chambers would transfer certain rights to the owners instead of those who are wrongfully inhabiting their home, as Gina Jordan reports. A squatter is someone who moves into someone else's property without permission. The police will not arrest them. They will not remove them from the premises. In fact, it is you that they will remove from your own house and tell you that they have no jurisdiction. 
Patty Peoples endured a hair-raising experience last year when she tried to sell a rental home in Jacksonville. She says the home had been refurbished and was vacant until some folks moved in without her knowledge. Imagine for a moment that you leave from your day of serving the citizens of Florida as a senator and you return to your home. But when you walk in, there are strangers sitting on your sofa, watching your TV, eating your food. You ask who they are and what they are doing, and they tell you that they have rented this house and present you with a lease. Peoples took video of her clashes with the squatters and the damage they left behind. She told the Senate Criminal Justice Committee they had a fake lease and they refused to leave. And the police told me that I was the one invading their privacy and would be arrested if I did not step off that property. People says she lost a buyer for the home and the squatters stayed there rent-free while the process took over a month to play out in civil court. I could not even set foot on my own property or enter the house even when I knew they were taking sledgehammers to the walls and ripping out plumbing because the police told me that I had that they had the right to privacy until the civil court decided they were illegally occupying my home. People says the owner can't turn off water or utilities on the people staying there. And in her case, she says the squatters left behind nearly $40,000 worth of damage. The property owner has to spend their money on legal fees and has to go through a long process uh, to remove somebody that is there illegally. Gainesville Republican Senator Keith Perry has a bill to change that. It applies to squatters and con artists who rent out property that isn't theirs. My daughter just went to rent a place in Tampa, uh, lost her deposit because it was a fraudulent rent. Perry's bill makes that action a felony, but it would impact those innocent renters who were conned into signing a fraudulent lease. The bill says anyone is presumed to be a squatter if they can't produce certain documentation, like a rent receipt or a notarized lease agreement. Jackson Oberlink with the advocacy group Florida Rising says such documents often don't exist. Less than half of renters have a written lease, as revealed by an analysis of Miami date evictions in August 2020, where just 47% of residential landlord-tenant disputes had a written lease. Not only are written leases rare, but notarized leases are even rarer. Oberlink also criticized the bill for creating what he calls a dangerous loophole that could be used by landlords against legal tenants. It puts renters at risk of forcible removal without a fair day in court, stripping away due process and leaving them vulnerable to arbitrary eviction. Under the bill, an owner may request the immediate removal of an unauthorized person by law enforcement, not including family members. A person who is wrongfully removed can take monetary action against their ouster. In your home, in the sanctity of your home, which I believe is your castle, and you could shake your head, but it's, it's my house. Get out. That's it. Hollywood Democratic Senator Jason Pizzo is an attorney and his family owns rental property. He acknowledged the would-be renters who fall prey to scams. It was in the tens of thousands of cases during the Great Recession where we had vacant homes, where people had defaulted on their mortgage and those homes sat vacant, especially in Miami-Dade County. It happened hundreds and hundreds of times a month that good faith renters fell for the $1,500 too good to be true kind of situation. Pizzo voted for the bill. He said he hopes it will undergo some changes, like broadening how renters can prove they are in a home legally. Still, he sees a clear conflict in the current law. If on a Monday someone walks into my home while I'm in there, I can shoot them. And yet Tuesday, if they beat me to the living room and the sofa, I can't do anything about it. 
In addition to enabling the fast removal of squatters, the bill creates three new crimes. All relate to unlawfully occupying a dwelling or fraudulently advertising property for sale or lease. The Senate bill and a similar House bill both have one more committee stop. I'm Gina Jordan. You're listening to Capitol Report from WFSU Public Media. I'm Tom Plantigan. Finally this week, Floridians experienced record-breaking heat last summer. Plus, some weather stations along the west coast of Florida recorded their driest year on record. WUSF's Jessica Massaros talked with the state's climatologist, David Zierden from Florida State University, about the climate over the past year and what to expect in 2024. How would you rate Florida in terms of addressing climate change for 2023? I think our administration and governor get a pretty good grade for addressing resiliency and coastal infrastructure, uh, stormwater, uh, through the Resilient Florida program. They've given out, I think in the last fiscal year, like $235 million in grants to local communities to uh, improve their infrastructure, addressing flooding and sea level rise and coastal issues. So pretty good grade there, uh, you know, as far as addressing the root cause of climate change and greenhouse gas emissions and renewable energy, grade's not quite as good. The statewide temperatures were the hottest on record for the summer months, right, in 2023? Yes. If we look at the summer as a whole, which meteorologists define as June through August, Florida only ranked second warmest on record. But July tied for the warmest month ever of any month of the year at 84.2 degrees for the statewide average temperature. And then August came along, which was brutally hot and crushed that record with an average temperature of 85 degrees. And so it broke the July record by nearly eight-tenths of a degree Fahrenheit. So very significant, very persistent heat around the state of Florida. What does that mean when we look at the overall trend? Uh, well, it's very much just in line with, uh, with the long-term or the trends we've seen in recent decades. Throughout the 20th century, Florida and much of the Southeast kind of lagged behind seeing this warming trend that other parts of the nation and certainly the globe had seen throughout the 20th century. But once we got into the 2000s, especially in the last eight to 10 years, Florida has really caught up. South Florida being uh, probably leading the pack, but uh, yeah, statewide average temperatures are now running a full two degrees Fahrenheit warmer than they were prior to 2000. And what can we expect in 2024? Is there a way to predict that? Uh, that's hard to tell. Traditionally, I've talked about how El Nino leads to a spike in global average temperature. And El Nino usually reaches its peak strength in the winter months, December, January, February. And we've seen the, the largest spike in global average temperature during the second year of El Nino where this year we saw this spike in global average temperature during the onset of El Nino. So that's kind of worrisome for what that means for the overall climate going into 2024. And also the North Atlantic sea surface temperatures are still running much above normal. And long-term models are kind of indicating that that might continue into the summer and into next hurricane season. So. Warmer ocean and gulf temperatures 
are part of the reason that Florida experienced such a warm summer this past year. So some early indications are that we might be dealing with, with similar conditions this year. That was Florida climatologist David Zierden speaking with WUSF's Jessica Massimeters. Our regular Capitol Report correspondents are Adrian Andrews, Lynn Hatter, Regan McCarthy, Margie Menzel, and Tristan Wood. Thanks also to Jessica Mazaros. Technical support for Capitol Report comes from Taylor Cox, and I'm Tom Flanagan. Join us again next week online and on air for more reports from the state capitol. Funding for Capitol Report is provided by the following. A grant from the law firm of Searcy, Denny, Scarola, Barnhart, and Shipley. Supporting public radio and taking time to care. On the web at searcylaw.com. The Florida AFL-CIO, representing over 1 million union members, retirees, and their families, committed to building a better future for all Floridians by promoting healthy communities, economic justice, and dignity in the workplace. Online at flaflcio.org. And from Florida State University, a preeminent institution. FSU specialty license plates support scholarships for deserving students who enrich and contribute to our state and nation. More on FSU specialty plates is at fsu.edu slash mytag. Capital Report is a production of WFSU Public Media in Tallahassee.